to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Idolatry is still alive and well on planet Earth. Many people today are still worshiping images, actually. But even in the Western world, where we've been under modernistic ideas and the scientific era and all of that, there's still plenty of idolatry that goes on. It's the the worshiping of ideas and concepts and passions and, and those kinds of things. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Genesis. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Genesis, chapters 34 through 36, in a message titled, Back to Bethel. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Now, Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had born to Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. Jacob has returned to the land of Canaan, and he's come into the area of Shechem. And so when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, he took her and lay with her and violated her. His soul was strongly attracted to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the young woman and spoke kindly to the young woman. So Shechem spoke to his father Hamor, saying, Get me this young woman as a wife. And Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah, his daughter. Now his sons were with his livestock in the field, so Jacob held his peace until they came. So back in the land, and just shortly After their arrival, this unfortunate incident occurs with Jacob's daughter, Dinah. Then Hamor, verse 6, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. And the sons of Jacob came in from the field when they heard it. And the men were grieved and very angry because he had done a disgraceful thing in Israel. By lying with Jacob's daughter, a thing which ought not to be done. It's interesting that even in that time, it was very clear that this was disgraceful behavior. Fornication is essentially what we're dealing with here. And to some degree, it doesn't really give us all the detail with Dinah. You know, it sounds a little bit like it was sort of what we would maybe refer to today as kind of a date rape situation. But on the other hand, the young man Shechem was honorable in that he, he wanted to marry this young woman. But it was a disgraceful thing. You know, it's interesting. Today, it seems that there are people that want to remove any shame or disgrace from any kind of sexual activity, behavior, or whatever the case might be. And that is becoming more and more the mentality in our culture today. You know, there was a time when uh, to commit adultery was a disgraceful thing. And 
anyone who did that. And, and when that was you know, publicly found out, that person was shamed. But then, you know, things sort of changing as time passes and through a lot of different influences, adultery became somewhat fashionable. And they no longer would refer to it as adultery, but they would refer to it as an affair. Implication there, something romantic, something sort of exciting, something adventurous, taking away the, the sin element, really. And we've seen that in so many different things. Fornication. There was a time when it was disgraceful to live in sin. That's what it was referred to. Oh, they're living in sin. Nobody wanted to be identified as a person who was living in sin. Not, and I'm not talking about Christian people necessarily, but just generally in the culture. That was a disgraceful thing to live in sin. Uh, But of course, today that's all changed. And in, in the minds of many people, there's no such thing as living in sin anymore. And in the minds of some people, you, you absolutely ought to live together. You ought to have sex together before you get married. Of course, you want to make sure you're compatible and all of that sort of thing. So it's, it's quite astounding how things have changed. But back in that time and in Israel, this was something that ought not to be done. So Hamar spoke with them, the father of Shechem. He said, the soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him as wife and make marriages with us. Give your daughters to us and take our daughters to yourselves. So you shall dwell with us and the land shall be before you. Dwell and trade in it and acquire possessions for yourself in it. Then Shechem said to her father and her brothers, Let me find favor in your eyes, and whatever you say to me, I will give you. Ask me, however much, for the bride price and gift, and I will give them according to what you say to me, but give me the young woman as my wife. So the men of the land are extending an invitation to Jacob and to his family to just come and be part of us. Let's intermarry. Let's join together. But these, of course, were the, you know, which would, the, the, the bigger picture would be the Canaanites. The Canaanites were divided up into all, you know, the Hivites and the Jebusites. And, but generally speaking, they were the Canaanites or the Amorites. And these were the people that God had told Abraham years before that there was a, a judgment that would come upon them because of their wickedness. But he said back in Abraham's day, you remember earlier in, in Genesis, he said the iniquity of the Amorites was not yet, had not yet reached its, its height. That would come later. But they're suggesting to, to Jacob and his family that they just sort of all you know, blend themselves together. This would have been to contaminate the holy people and derail the, the plan and the purpose of God 
in setting aside this people in order to bring the Messiah ultimately. So behind this suggestion, although it seems you know, relatively innocent, which I think from the human perspective it probably was, but behind the suggestion, you can hear the voice of the devil who is wanting to thwart the plan of God by suggesting that they come and just all of them join together as one big family. But the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hamor, his father, and spoke deceitfully because he had defiled Dinah, their sister. And they said to them, we cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a reproach to us. But on this condition, we will consent to you. If you will become as we are, if every male of you is circumcised, then we will give our daughters to you, and we will take your daughters to us, and we will dwell with you, and we will become one people. But if you will not heed us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and be gone. And their words pleased Hamar and Shechem, Hamar's son, so the young man did not delay to do the thing because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. He was more honorable than all of the household of his father. So you see that there's obviously some real kind of a commitment here by Shechem. He's willing to go through circumcision in order to obtain this young woman. And just the little sort of added note here, he was more honorable than all the household of his father. So he was evidently somewhat of an honorable young man. And so Hamor and Shechem, his son, came to the gate of their city and they spoke with the men of their city saying, these men are at peace with us, therefore let us dwell with them in the land and trade in it. For indeed the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters to us as wives and let us give them our daughters. Only on this condition will the men consent to dwell with us to be one people if every male among us is circumcised as they are circumcised. Will not their livestock, their property, and every animal of theirs be ours? Only let us consent to them, and they will dwell with us. And all who went out of the gate of the city heeded Hamor and Shechem, his son. Every male was circumcised, all who went out of the gate of the city. So it sounded like a, a good deal. I don't know that I would have agreed with that, but <laughs> to them it sounded like a good deal. But look what happens. Now it came to pass on the third day when they were in pain that two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, each took his sword and came boldly upon the city and killed all of the males. And they killed Hamor and Shechem, his son, with the edge of the sword and took Dinah from Shechem's house and went out. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city because their sister had been defiled. They took their sheep, their oxen, their donkeys, what was in the city and what was in the field, all their wealth, all their little ones, their wives, they took captive and they plundered even all that was in the house. Listen, then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have troubled me by making me obnoxious among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And since I am few in number, they will gather themselves together against me and they 
will kill me. I shall be destroyed, my household and I. But they said back to their father, should he treat our sister like a harlot? So there's a sharp division here between Jacob and his sons. Jacob clearly believes that what they did was absolutely wrong. And I think Jacob was absolutely right. Because Shechem and Hamor were honorable in that they sought to make things right with Dinah. And Simeon and Levi took advantage of the situation and and basically murdered these men. Now, as we're going to see as we carry on here, now remember, these guys are, these are the, the men who are the patriarchs of the nation of Israel. These are the, the leaders of the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. And as we're going to see, these guys are, they're far from godly men. In many ways, they were very, well, you know, they, they were evil in many ways. And we're going to see that come out more and more as we go. But we will also come to a point later on where we will see that there is a redemptive thing that happens with them. But as we've pointed out in, on many occasions going through Genesis here, you know, we see again that the working out of God's plan in history, not everybody in, involved in that plan has always been the ideal person that they ought to have been. But that didn't thwart the plan of God. I think of the genealogy of Jesus that we have. We have two genealogies, as you know, in the New Testament. We have a genealogy in Matthew and a genealogy in Luke. But in the genealogy of Jesus, interestingly, there are four women that are mentioned in that genealogy. Uh, Generally, women wouldn't be mentioned in a genealogy, and, and not only would women not be mentioned, but especially the women that are mentioned. Rahab the harlot is mentioned. Bathsheba, the one with whom David had an adulterous affair, is mentioned. But yet in inserting those names into the genealogy, it's really, in a sense, it's a picture of God's grace upon sinful humanity. Jesus came to die for us because we're all sinners. And the sons of Jacob were sinful men, and we see their sinful character coming out here in this incident. And again, instead of humbling themselves before their father, they just simply are contending with Jacob and disagreeing with him. They're they're basically saying what we did was right. They should not have treated our sister that way. Then God said to Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Now, Bethel was the place, remember, when Jacob had left Beersheba and was going to be with Laban. That is the place where he had stopped and the place where he had had the revelation of God. You remember he lied down and uh, the stone was his pillow there. And he had that vision of the ladder and the angels of God ascending and descending on that. So the Lord is telling him to go back to that place. Go back to Bethel. Bethel means the house of God. So the Lord is now directing him out of this area of Shechem, which would be in uh, what would later become Samaria. And he's to go up north into Bethel and he's to dwell there and make an altar there to God who appeared to you 
when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. Now, remember, Jacob has just said, I'm, I'm obnoxious now to the Canaanites. They're far more in number than we are. They're going to attack us. They're going to destroy us. And immediately the Lord comes in and says, no, Jacob, you go to Bethel and go back to that place and, and make an altar there. Go back to the place where I met you when you fled from your brother Esau. So the Lord's reminding him through this that just as God had protected him from Esau and kept him all of the while, he would continue to do that. And so Jacob said to his household, now listen to this, Jacob, the patriarch, the son of Isaac, the grandson of Abraham, he said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you, purify yourselves and change your garments. So we see there's, even in the household of Jacob. Now, Jacob, of course, has these sons. He has the wives, the concubines. He has many servants. So all of them would be included in this. But there's still idolatry in the household of Jacob. And now, Jacob is realizing that he can no longer be lax in regard to those things. These things have to be dealt with. So he basically just lays it down to his family. You need to put away the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourself and change your garments. As we read through the Old Testament, of course, we read a lot about idolatry. We read a lot about foreign gods. We read a lot about the various images and things. And we know from the study of the history and the culture in that region that they, they worshipped a, a myriad of, of images, carved images. But it doesn't take a carved image to have idolatry. We tend to just look at it like that. And because we look at it like that, we often think that any references to idolatry or, you know, any exhortation to put away idolatry, it's, it's sort of irrelevant to us. It doesn't really apply because, after all, we don't have any idols. But as we've heard many times before, the idol, the image, was just, you know, something tangible that a person could look at, a person could bow down to, but it was, it was the image of a concept or an idea. And so we might not have the, the, the very images today, but we still have the same concepts. We still have the same ideas. In other words, as you have heard before and as you know, idolatry is still alive and well on planet Earth. Many people today are still worshiping images, actually. But even in the Western world where we've been under modernistic ideas and the scientific era and all of that, there's still plenty of idolatry that goes on. It's just manifested in a different way. It's the the worshiping of ideas and concepts and passions and, and those kinds of things. So it's possible to be an idolater but not realize it because we're only thinking of idolatry in the sense of images. Oh, I don't have any images. I'm fine. But the fact of the matter is my heart is passionate about some idea or some thing or some possession, something other than the Lord God himself. 
You see, when the Bible said that we were to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, the picture there is a picture of I've got no room to love anything else because all of my love is being directed toward the Lord. But whenever some of my love is taken and directed toward another thing, an unworthy thing, that's when an idolatrous situation develops. And you see, when we're worshiping anything but the Lord, any other idea or whatever, it's always going to lead to problems in our lives. It's always going to lead to a diminishing of the blessing of God in my life. It's going to lead to the, to the increase of chaos and misery and, and those kinds of things. So we ourselves today, we need to many times, you know, take an inventory and look at our own hearts and just ask some hard questions sometimes, you know, what do I really worship? Who am I really living for? Who am I really totally sold out to? Is it really the Lord? Or are there other things that have crept in? Are there other things that I'm, I'm really deep in my heart? These are the things that are driving me. The, the various gods, you know, that are mentioned in the, in the Old Testament, we have, of course, Baal mentioned. We have Ashtoreth. We have Nebo is another god that is mentioned. Molech that is another god that is mentioned. And there's a lot of difference of opinion as to just, you know, what they represented. But, but generally speaking, you could say, well, Nebo was actually the god of wisdom. He was the god of wisdom. So a person who was worshiping Nebo was really worshiping wisdom or philosophy or the intellect. Baal and Molech, probably some crossover there with the worshiping of, of pleasure sexual pleasure and things like that, prosperity, the idea, of course, these gods, a lot of the focus had to do with the agricultural cycle and the prosperity that would come as a result of, you know, the harvesting and, and all of that sort of a thing. And there was the, the, you know, the fruitfulness and all, the reproductive, so these weird sexual things would be connected with it and, and then different ideas of prosperity and, and those kinds of things. And these are all of the things that we can easily get caught up in today. We can get caught up in worshiping the intellect or worshiping uh, the philosophies of men. I think of so many people today that are basically bowing down to Nebo. They reject the word of God, they reject the revelation of God, and they worship at the altar of man's mind. And they, they worship according to the various philosophies. And a lot of people bowing down at these altars. A lot of people worshiping there. But then you've got just a lot of that, you know, the average person is, is worshiping at the altars of Baal, worshiping at the altars of Molech, worshiping at the altars of pleasure and prosperity and sexual gratification and some of those baser kinds of things. But we, as God's people... We have the command to put away the foreign gods that are among us. We're not to be part of that.
December, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen, How God Redeems Regret, Hurt, and Fear in the Making of Better Humans by Scott Stalls. Do you fight an internal hidden battle all alone? Or do you hear the quiet shaming of your own inner thoughts over past actions and regrets? If you answered yes to these questions, then you are not alone at all. In his book, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen, Scott Sauls shares about God's counter voice against the nagging voice of silent inner shaming. You'll also discover the secret of contentment, even in the face of guilt and regret, because God wants you to notice that He notices you. Your regrets, hurts, and fears don't have to define who you are, because in the hands of God, they are being repurposed as instruments that are shaping you into who He has destined you to become. The book, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen, How God Redeems Regret, Hurt, and Fear in the Making of Better Humans by Scott Sauls is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Genesis. Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.